This is the Jabberjaw Podcast Network. Visit JabberjawMedia.com for more shows like this one. Too many dates where all the girl wants to do is get in your pants? You go out with a girl who's ready to get her freak on when all you want to do is hold hands and talk about your dreams. Well, put your padlock underwear away and wait no more. Your solution is here. Pepper Spice. It's a cream made up of a blend of ground-up ghost peppers and habaneros and brewer's yeast. Easily applied to your weenie, anus, and sack area. Just spread a little on there before your date and wait for that loose little slut to get frisky. If she won't take no for an answer, well, go ahead and invite her to take a walk down Dingaling Street and watch as she gets a mouthful of pepper spice. That whore will jump out of your car so fast it'll make your head spin. But not your little head, because he was protected with pepper spice. Pepper spice has been tried and tested on women and tranny prostitutes alike in Malaysia, the Philippines, and Austin, Texas for three years. No animal testing with our products. And it's 100% natural. So if you want to go on dates without the threat of coitus looming in the air, try pepper spice on your next date. It also comes in a roll-on stick and a powder. Just keep a pinch in your pocket, and if you're approached by a beautiful woman who may touch you in a sexual manner, now put it in your hand and blow it right in her face. Pepper Spice. Available at all asexual drugstores near you. Use as directed. It's the Metal Sucks Podcast with your hosts, Petter Spice, Brandon Hahn, and Jocelyn Sharp. And her dumb boobs. <laughs> <laughs> I don't like it. I don't like it. <laughs> Metal Sucks Podcast. Uh, I am your host. Pepper Spice, I guess. Pepper Spice so, it is. So we, we complained about this guy, Dennis Huff, not giving us our our Jocelyn Sharp, Brandon, and Pete opener. So he wrote a, a beautiful bit making fun of me being, you know, for ladies there, sent that to us. Yes. And, uh, and then he just added uh, something about Jocelyn's boobs. So jo- they're very dumb. They're, he only <laughs> thinks they're dumb because he can't see them. Well, that's jo- the only reason he thinks Jocelyn, they're dumb. Jocelyn, your boobs would totally fail a driver's ed test. Yeah, because like, they're second, boobs. Well, uh, <laughs> can't even. Can't can even, your balls drive? Uh, yeah, they can at least fill out a Scantron. <laughs> All right. I mean, so, it would be, uh, be nothing but the same letter, but. <laughs> So uh, this week on the show, guys, we uh, get to talk to Wes Borland, uh, most famous, obviously, for his main gig, Limp Biscuit. But we are talking about everything else he's done, his solo career. Big Dumb Face, his new record is out now. It came out Halloween. It's fantastically fun. I can't stop listening to it. And then his other bands as well. We, we kind of go through the whole career gamut of, uh, you know, everything he's done, dude, that, that uh, we find so fascinating here over at Metal Sucks. Um, you know what I find fascinating? What do you find? That you said the term fantastically fun. Dude, it's fun. It's like, <laughs> like I said, if people come into the big dumb face with that open mind of just to have a good time and it's, it's, a, it's a shredder, it's, it's everything. It's a good record, man. It's fantastically fun. It's fantastically fun. He can put that on them. Okay. He can, Pete. Yeah, Pete from Metal Sucks Podcast says, this Pe- album is fantastically fun. Pepper Spice. And, every, and all the metalheads are going to just totally jump on board with that. Yeah, like, no, nobody will. Way to sell it. Nobody will. Anyways, it is out now, guys. Make sure you do go over to uh, check it out on uh, iTunes. And, and if you haven't heard a song yet, go to metalsucks.net. Type in West Borland. Also has a video for Jesus Retreats, which we do talk about in the interview. But as always, uh, when Brandon is roughly in a plastic bag and Didn't we can hear it in the microphone, we to. go straight to the news. All right. So the, the story this week, guys, that we want to talk about <laughs> is uh, Dave Mustaine, one of our favorites here at the show. I got to tell you, I, I'll always... Automatically excited. I, it's always excited, right? I'll always listen to Megadeth for the rest of my life, unless he does something horrific, you know, which I don't think he is going to at this point. But man... 
His mouth is amazing. So what he said this week, what? his mouth is amazing, meaning he always says things. That Sounds just, like something my big yeah. dumb boobs would say. <laughs> his mouth is fantastically fun. Just have an open mind. Just have an open mind. Have a fantastically fun open mind. Uh, so, so go on. His mouth is how amazing? It's super amazing. It's brushed. Hardly any cavities. So as we read, uh, every, every interview do, it does, it seems like we have a, a wonderful quote to read from him. But this is what he said this week uh, in regards to uh, Me- Megadeth's uh, songwriting and lyrics, lyrics which, uh, you know, are great. Uh, it's funny that you bring up, this is me as Dave Mustaine, everybody. <laughs> right. I'm telling you, I closed my eyes. I thought it was, I was yeah. like, when Dave get here? <laughs> it's funny. Yeah. Right. It's funny that you bring this up because it became clear to me several years ago that when you start talking about politics, you immediately divide your audience in half. And what in the beginning was, you know, quite tongue-in-cheek kind of one-liner stuff started to unfortunately define me as a songwriter. And now people think that I'm a political songwriter, which I'm not. Now, if there ever was a political songwriter in thrash music, who would you guys say is He political? was like the guy. Yeah. The like guy. And like the best lyricist at it, too. Yeah. Right. Like, peace says, but who's buying? Peace sells, who's buying? Rust in Peace. Rust in like Peace, this everything. This latest album is Dystopia. nothing but, yeah. Political Dystopia stuff. nothing but political stuff. Yeah. So, so it's... it's, it's uh, he might as well have just written a song called Fuck You, Obama. Like, it's like, <laughs> that's, what, that's, that's what the album should have been titled. <laughs> So do you think like, and, and that's the thing is he's, he's always like, my words are twisted, but at, at a certain point you're like, your words aren't twisted, Dave. You always say things that, that confuse people because your greatest albums that will live on forever are political statements Yeah, all the way through. Now that's another thing is that like, I don't want Dave to be like the drug addict to Dave Mustaine that wrote all these great lyrics in, you know, didn't find God now that he's found God and he's not a drug addict and all those things. Um, but it seems like that oh, Dave know, Mustaine man. was the guy that I really liked. Like, <laughs> wh- wow, you mean to tell me uh, an artist that was upset and angry and on drugs to get away from his right. negative feelings wrote great Did music, better, Pete? Yeah. What? Yeah, and then the that's ha- never happened. The happy millionaire uh, found God uh, doesn't write yeah. the lyrics. Who that has I hope love. now? Yeah. yeah, exactly. Now he's got a reason to keep on keeping on. He's and- not really bringing the darkness on the mic. Yeah, mm-hmm. and I've been complaining about Megadeth lyrics since since thirteen. I remember thinking those lyrics were horrendous. I'm like, what? Who is this guy? Yeah, wrote these back lyrics, in the day. Back, back in the day. day back in the day. Day. Mess with them, dude. Yeah, back in the day, his mouth was fantastic. Yeah, it was fantastically <laughs> fun. It was fantastically fun. Speaking of a fan- not saying that it's not now. I'm not saying that I didn't it's like this phobia. It's yeah, just it's fun. just fun, but not fantastically fun. <laughs> Thank you, guys. I think everybody needed that <laughs> clarification. But segueing over to a fantastically fun mouth. Um, the next story that I made you guys watch because I can't watch people puke. Oh, dude. Flesh God Apocalypse Drummer. I don't know if you guys have seen this on Metal Sucks or uh, yet, but you need to check this out if you can handle people throwing up. First off, what a great name. Flesh God Apocalypse. Yes. You like that name? <laughs> Love it. <laughs> is it an want- apocalypse of gods or is it a apocalypse that only flesh gods are welcome at? Oh, man, that's too much. That, that's like a chicken or the egg <laughs> kind of question. Yeah, you, you I don't know. the game there. Yeah, I'm sorry. Completely. I, I take it you guys don't know who this band is. Um, uh, mm. <laughs> no, I will. I do now. Yeah. They're really good. You should check them out. I, the only, know, is, I only know Organ God Apocalypse. <laughs> oh, that's the only man you know. I only know Epidur- Non-Flesh yeah. non God yeah, exactly. Apocalypse. After know- watching this video, will you ever forget this band? Though? No. The, the yeah. drummer is playing in song. You have a, you know, this lady on the side who's singing the tune. In, First it, off, everybody's dressed like a pirate. 
Yeah. yeah. You know well, what I mean? Like they're all dressed like like uh, early century middle age garb. I'd say medieval garb. Yeah. yeah. I yeah. don't know about pirate. Renaissance well, fairy. Renaissance fairy all the way. Yeah. Not yeah. not like I was yeah. like fairy. Oh yeah, yeah. That like, was not, not, the, not the gay slur. <laughs> not in, Is that what you're saying? Yeah. Like Renaissance fairy. Wow, I repeated it without even thinking that. <laughs> yeah. I repeated your, your yeah. when you said it, slur. I heard that and well, I was like, not that. Look, I you guys, I'm trying to keep everything politically correct here on the show. That's what I do. That's what I do. That's what I do. No, but like but but they they basically dress like they're the ones that have the the uh, the kind of silk handkerchiefs like around their necks, you know. And Everybody they, and knows they, who Flesh God Apocalypse is that's listening yeah. to this podcast, but you guys. Okay, yeah. I'm sure everyone. <laughs> I'm, knows. I'm, I'm also wondering why you're describing it. because, dude, it's just <laughs> people so people are great. aware of this band. <laughs> Watching this band, it was fucking hilarious. So, anyways, the drummer is just. He's, I mean, he's ill. You he, can tell he's he, ill. He, he is pale. He looks like he's melting. Yes. He is. I mean, just the wrong color. Of like, it, it looks grayish. Low like quality looks, video, and you can see that he's sweating. Yeah, that he's sweating and really it's bad. The and video. there's all these people around him. Like, if, if a child's sick, and they're like, "Oh, let me take care of him," so he's keeping the beat, and then he just starts violently throwing up. It looks like in a bag or a bucket, but yeah. it, the guy came up with like a cup at first. Yeah, somebody. <laughs> yeah, just and it was like it wasn't even it wasn't even the size of a red solo cup. Either. Yeah, it was no. like a tiny little like a cup shot glass. Yeah, yeah, it was like <laughs> the, the little paper Dixie cups you get at the water cooler. Yeah. He, he came like, with that first. Like, yeah. here, like, throw up in this, buddy. Right. And then, the, and then the drummer moves over, and he keeps the beat, I mean, completely. You that, see, I mean, he, he's just staring. And, and that's it's, the guy you want to hire. That's, that's muscle memory if I've ever seen. Oh, right? yeah. Yeah, that guy just went from being the when drummer for Flesh God Apocalypse to Slayer. When you're vomiting, you have no control over your body motions. We've all had a dry heave where we're like, stop, and your you're body right. is doing. How is he still drumming? And barfing. That's what I'm. That's what I'm getting. It's at. amazing. That's why, that's why this guy to me just rose up another level because he's still keeping. He's keeping the beat. It's not like no. he was off. He was completely no. keeping the beat and heaving and throwing up all over the place. And then it was so funny because the whole band has got their backs to the audience and they're just staring, staring at, at him, throwing up. Yeah, and it just looks like. It just <laughs> so not only is he barfing, but he has to deal with everyone watching him barf and that feeling. <laughs> He's now in my top five drummers of all time. Of all time. Oh, my God. Dude, dude so I, I'll tell you right funny. now, I've, I've never, if I, I'm going to go on a limb and say, drummers out there, if you're barfing, you can stop playing. Yeah, we I'm going to go ahead and say right. that. It's cool. We'll understand that if you go outside, take care of business, and come back. Yeah. But this guy, yeah, he rose up the, the charts big time on the on the drummer list of for everybody. Oh, my Yeah, God. that's pretty, I mean, that was commitment. Yeah. Have looked, you guys ever thrown up like, on stage? No. 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 Okay, have you seen anybody throw up on stage? No. Yes. Oh, wait, well, you have, comic-wise? Well, I mean, I've seen people make themselves throw up on stage just for effect. Like, they're just like, I'm so metal, but like, Slipknot used to throw up oh, in their masks I'm not talking like, about, all yeah. the time. I'm talking about, like, ill. I'm not talking about, like, self-induced. No. no. Yeah. no. Never seen that, right? Mm-mm. I've okay. seen comics stop with, I've seen, a, I've heard of a comic taking a shit on stage, like, shitting their pants. Yeah, not, me too. Yeah. Yeah. Not taking a shit. But See, but that, that can be hidden. I mean, it's got to be uncomfortable. But yeah, vomit's pretty vomit. Obvious. Yeah, hide. So I was, I was just wondering. Shitting in your pants is not hidden, by the way. <laughs> it's not hidden, but I mean, it's like it's not as obvious, I guess. So if someone was violently throwing up and then they kept telling jokes, I think it's pretty obvious when you got poo poo rolling out of your pant leg. I mean, it's like you win. Me. Yeah, you win. What if I you're wearing see. whitey tidies? Oh, well, you can't see those. But anyway, then it's all caught up in there. It's held in. Yeah. Yep. Yeah, it's like all of a sudden you just go from regular pants. Like, hey, where did Gooch get a badonk donk? Oh, I just shit my pants. <laughs> Don't worry about it. <laughs> I want to know what the rest of the video was. Like, did he? Do you pl- think he shit his pants too? It looked like he was he was going from both ends there. Dude, I mean, he looked like that looked stomach flu. Yeah, you don't get that pale. It's not like when you're sick from like 
drinking, you don't get all pale and sweaty for like a long period of time. That's when you have the stomach flu. You know how much merch I would buy at that show? I would have every t-shirt in every size. I would have every vinyl record. I'd be like, here's four or $500 because that guy threw up on stage and kept playing. I would, I, would, I would break the bank for this He band. must have been sick too because there was a guy with a little Minute Maid orange juice thing. I think that's what it was yeah. with a straw and he was like handing it over so that he could take sips. <laughs> I need my vitamins <laughs> to keep this. Beat. Maybe they are pirates. Maybe he has scurvy. What, dude, yeah, Maybe right. it's scurvy. Maybe that's what it is. Because I, I just think the funniest not part pirates. to me. The funniest Continue. part to They're me. They're not pirates. The funniest part to me was they were dressed just like the guys that uh, wrote the Declaration of Independence. <laughs> it's like I'm just looking over here and seeing just like. Uh, <laughs> the funniest part to me is where did this puke pit crew come from? Oh, there was God. just like three people that seemed to have medical knowledge. They knew. That were just like patting him and wiping his face and getting a bucket ready. They had that bucket. The bucket wasn't out the whole time. Yeah. Well, that they was had a thing. it ready when he was about to go. It was like there was a towel, and then there was a cup, and then there was a bigger bucket. And yeah. it just looked like, and it, it just, the, I'm telling you, just the mental imagery of it, it's just Ben Franklin violently vomiting. That's, <laughs> that's, a, perfect, like. that's a perfect, that's <laughs> perfect. He did have a Ben Franklin hairline. Yes. He had a Ben, ben Franklin <laughs> hairline, and he was wearing the Ben Franklin clothes. That's what they, that's what they yep, that's what like. they call it, Gooch. And, yes. on, and on that <laughs> note, on that note. <laughs> On that Ben Franklin note, we're going to move on to the next story, guys. The Ben Franklin clothes. (laughs) Go to benfranklinclothes.com. That's probably a thing. That's probably a thing. Yeah, there's there's got to be like some sort of like, yeah. Uh, Anyway, so next story, guys. Uh, Before we get into our interview with Wes here uh, on the Metal Sucks podcast, Stone Temple Pilots have announced their first show um, with their new singer, Obviously, everybody knows Scott Weiland was replaced by Chester Bennington a couple years ago. Scott Weiland passed, unfortunately. Then Chester Bennington obviously passed, unfortunately, uh, recently. And now somebody is going to attempt to fill both those guys' shoes and sing Interstate Love Song for the crowd. They didn't reveal the guy's identity, but I really think this is a... a, For me, I think that this is a a no-go moment no matter what. This is a cash grab, but you know what, though? I don't know if it's a cash grab because you're not going to make a lot of money. Well, I'm just saying, if they called the band the DeLeo Brothers, no one's going to go check them out. So they got it. These guys still have to eat. So, I mean, why not go out there and get a new singer? But Uh the problem is, though, is if you're that singer, just like you said... How do you follow Scott Weiland and Chester Bennington? Even, but even if they're doing it just for the love of the music, they're trying to catch... They already caught lightning in a bottle twice. Mm-hmm. Like how... I mean... They're, oh, they're not going to have another hit. There's, yeah, there's no way. There's no way in my head that it can... Because it takes a while for you to fall in love with the second singer. And this was just a very special one. Mm-hmm. And everyone kind of fell in love. And that was lightning in a bottle twice. Like, you like you know, Pete said something earlier where it's like, a second, a new singer once, okay. It's tough to sell. And when you get someone on the level, like when you when we knew Scott Weiland's publicized problems at the time, yeah. and you get someone... I saw him with Chester Bennington. You did too, Brandon, they, right? I, yeah, dude, was, I'm going to tell you. They were great. Yeah. They were great. Yeah. They were great. I I saw him with Wyland many times. We saw him with Wyland too. And Wyland was, every time I saw him, he one, one show he was a disaster, but the, the shows that he was on fire, he was on fire. Dude, yeah. when that yeah. guy, when that guy was on his game, I mean, he, he is, he was legendary. Right. Yeah. Like legendary. I saw him uh, a long time ago, Scott Wyland, and it was like chili peppers and stone top were co-headlining. And I mean, Wyland came out, it was on that number four record and they owned it. I mean, they blew the peppers out of the water. They just killed it and walked away. And I was like, Wyland's back on his game, and then everything fell apart again. I saw him with Velvet Revolver a couple times, too. So the point is, is that same deal. When he was on, he was on fire. And great songs with that yeah. band, too. Yeah. Um, and, um, and so Chester Bennington really did it, fill those shoes. I don't think a lot of people loved it, but no, he filled those shoes. He filled the shoes. For and, sure. And my point is, though, is the only way 
you're going to be able to get the same kind of crowds that you were getting mm-hmm. or is you have to have another famous lead singer. You have to have somebody somewhat famous or you have to have, a, you know, it's got it's got to be somebody like that the people know. At it, this point, I don't think that even matters. I don't even think that the most hardcore fans are going to be able to transition again. I yeah. don't think that's going to happen. It's tough. I think I think certain singers, um, you can like I said, you can kind of replace them once. Yeah. But going a second time around, it's going to be like a nostalgia. Like Skid Row at this point is a nostalgia act. They're on singer, I think, four. You know, from uh, and he sounds great, Sebastian Bach. ZP ZP sounds really good right now, man. No, you're right. We, he sounds great, but he again, sounds fantastic. It's but, not, but it's a nostalgia thing. Yes, yeah, and that's maybe that's where Stone Temple Pilots is going to go. I always have the fear. I, I it sounds more or less that Lincoln Park will get a new singer and move on, which I think is odd as well. I hope I, I really hope Soundgarden doesn't even consider that personally. Yeah. I don't think they're going. I don't do think that. they will. I think they ha- they understand what they lost there, and um, you know, but it's it's just a really really weird um you get attached to those situation. songs with those people would you guys see stone temple pilots with the third single now i had the same attitude about allison chains and then william duvall blew me away dude that, that's what they put out amazing records too <laughs> they put so, out some sorry, good guys. records yeah. you're right about that they did do that william duvall though to me i'm not gonna say he's better than lane because lane when lane staley came out it was like that that voice was so unique that the way they did everything was so unique yeah but but William Duvall came out and he had that, but then also he added this. You you just seen he's just a showman. No, I mean, not only not only yeah. is he an amazing singer, but dude, he's an amazing guitar player and he's doing amazing guitar work while singing. Do you know how hard that is? And he's nailing it. Yeah, no, he 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 did pull it off. So if Stone Temple Pilots somehow find themselves a William Duvall, we will give him a chance. Oh, we're gonna give him a chance. But again, just like you said though, with William Duvall again, and on top of that too, they waited years. Before yeah. Before, yeah, yeah, yeah. before they even decided to put the band back together. Yeah, it was a so long So they waited break. a long time. Yeah, and then on right. top of that, too, they it was at the time it was all Jerry, 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 and then you know, yeah. then William Duvall started having his influence on the records, and then now you see like a, a different <laughs> band, like this uh what was the uh, giraffe uh, giraffe tongue orchestra with the yeah. uh, GTO, the uh with uh yeah, and William Duvall I, when we talk when I talked to, to Ben and Dillinger, we, we brought that up. I was like the dude's voice was just so much different on that record because you can showcase his, his talent. So anyways, Hey, I'm a fan of the guys of stone toe pilots. I really hope it does work out for them, but I will always be one of those people that, uh, you know, I, I just think there's a time to move forward. So on that note, guys, uh, let me, uh, let me just give you guys a quick read here from our sponsor here at metal blade records guys. This November, Metal Blade Records will release the follow-up to 2000 since 2006 poignant Dimebag Daryl video memorial set, Dime Vision Volume 1. That's the fun I have, dubbed Dime Vision Volume 2, Roll With It or Get Rolled Over. The DVD CD set includes more raw footage, true gems and classic moments with five previously unreleased demos. Pre-order your copy now at MetalBlade.com slash DimeVision against metalblade.com slash dime vision if you guys haven't seen the clips that have come out already for that um you know go to metalsucks.net type in dime vision it's the same fun that we remember dime it's just like the first video it's it's exciting guys and like i said the five demos that are gonna get released are gonna be uh something special for us all so uh with that said guys let's move right into our interview with uh wes borland all right everybody this is uh peter with the metal sucks podcast on the phone with me today uh, I have Wes Borland. Uh, we're here to promote the new Big Dumb Face record. Where is Duke Lion? He's dead. And uh, that is coming dot, out. Dot, this dot, dot. Dot, dot, ellipses, if we may. 
Yeah. <laughs> so, and uh, that's coming out this Halloween, guys. So uh, it's it's going to be out 1031 for uh, everything. So um, right before we uh, jumped on, you're doing a video for a, a song off the new record, correct? Correct. I, I uh, started working on um, a video that was that, with a friend of mine, and we were going to make it be all puppets. And we built like a little set and started building the puppets. Um, and we're going to have like a puppeteered band and we were doing camera tests and it just, I mean, we kind of wanted it to look like shit, but it looked too much like shit. (laughs) We were just like, no, this isn't going to work. So now it's just, it's becoming like puppet costumes for live action people to like (laughs) dress up like puppets. So I don't know how that's going to go. With my luck, it'll just end up, there'll, there'll just be no video, and I'll just go, sorry, there's no video. <laughs> so, I don't know. <laughs> and with, with the creative but, um, mind that you have, when you have these ideas, and you have these, like you said, most parts where you're like, nah, I can't put this out, do you scrap a lot of things? Well, there's the triangle of truth, you know? It can be like, there's there's fast, cheap, and... Um, good, and you can only pick two. So it can be good and fast, but it won't be cheap. It can be fast and cheap, but it won't be good. And it can be cheap and good, but it won't be fast. So you can only circle two of that triangle, and I have that hanging up in my on my wall in my studio. And it's just like... Or some people spend a lot of money and take a long time, and it still sucks, which happens. But, you know, it's... Uh, I think anything that happens that ends up being great, you have to do it that way. So I'm trying to do, I'm trying to do fast, cheap, and good, which isn't going to work. So it's it's going to be cheap and slow, <laughs> and hopefully be good and good. There you go. That's actually a, a, a fantastic description of like because we do comedy bits on our show, and any of the ones that work that are really good are exactly exactly how you described them. You know, and then anything that I I spend overthinking and doing a million times over, it's just embarrassing. And then we have to put it out because we got a deadline. Yeah. So, exactly. I mean, that's why I've found that I don't um, I don't work well if I like a project won't be good for me if I take longer than about five or six weeks on it. And if I go longer than that, um, like I think about it for a long time before. But I don't. I don't act. Once I start acting, I give myself a window of like five or six weeks. So that's the way I've done the last two records I've made. And are there mistakes on them? Sure, but I think that it captures like an urgency and a spontaneity and, and a human element that you don't get if you start beating something to death, you know, and taking months and months and months on it. Because I just lose interest. Like yeah. I'll just start going, Nah, I don't like. I, I never want to get to a point where I'm questioning myself. So I, I just like burn the candle at both ends and I kind of go crazy a little bit because I'm also, I moved to Detroit and then my wife had to um, finish college in New York at Parsons. So she moved to New York. So I've been here in Detroit and I don't know anyone here and I'm by myself super isolated. So I'm becoming like Jack Torrance in The Shining or something and just like, <laughs> working by myself all the time and going crazy. But I think that it's, you know, good results are coming out of it. Are you talking to the puppets, Wes? You can tell us. 
I'm talking to the cats and myself a lot. There's a bunch <laughs> of cats here, and I'm I'm like end up talking to them all the time or talking to myself. But you know that's that's what happens when you're alone. You start just talking out loud and cussing at stuff and yelling at the cats and talking to them like you're gonna they're gonna answer you. Excellent. It's good. It's a good time. And now I want to touch base. I'd like I'd like to celebrate and shine a light on on. And we're going to talk more about Big Dumbface, uh, the two. I'm, I'll call it Where's Duke Line? He's dead. Um, but I, I want to shine a light on all your solo and side projects through the years because they've been such a, an important part of my life. And I want to make sure that we can at least discuss some of that stuff, starting with the first Big Dumbface. Now, when you did that record, um, what was your idea for the project at the time? Um, I think that I hated being in hated being in Limp Bizkit at the time, and um, you know, really was at a point in my life where, like, being famous and making the amount of money that we were making and having the amount of um, like criticism was not ever what I wanted. I just wanted to have a sustainable career that. Um, you know, where, where no one involved got too big for their britches and they, you know, everybody just was making good records and wanted to, it just, I, I felt like I needed to do something that was the opposite of like what was going on at the time. And for years, my brother and myself and a friend of ours named Kyle Weeks had, since we were in high school, had this thing that we did <clears throat> called Goat Slayer, which was, it was like improvisational, stupid music inspired kind of like Mr. Bungle and Ween. And also, um, I'm going to go deep here, but in Berkeley, California in the nineties, there was a show called, um, a radio show, um, called negative land or over the edge. Um, and they ended up putting records out and they did a bunch of radio shows and it was really funny and they had callers and one guy would call, one guy would be taking calls and talking while the other guy was in another booth with all this, all these echo plexes and samplers and stuff and would be sampling him and the callers and making noises. And it was just this bizarre thing that they would, they would start at like three in the morning and go to like seven in the morning. And, um, we had all these tapes of this show. So we in high school started making our own sort of records and show. It was called goat slayer. It was ultra like, ultra like tongue-in-cheek satanic and god we want to release all of it one day because there's like 25 goat slayer records i guess if you want to call them records but um we have to heavily edit it because there's a bunch of not pc stuff that you know kids say on on it uh but um that's that became that was the idea behind big dumb face big dumb face was like a more polished if you, if you can call it polished, a more polished song driven version of that idea. And the same people involved in that, plus a couple other guys that we had met over the years came together to make the big dumb face record. I mean, the first record's 90% me with like 10% other people involved, but that 10% I think makes a big difference as far as just having like, as far as my interest level too, just having a little bit of other people involved bringing in some different elements on top of what I'm doing. But at the, so at the time, not like not to make a long story longer, but at the time goat slayer became big dumb face. 
that's something I did before I was in Biscuit. I wasn't happy in Biscuit at the time. So I wanted to put something out that showed, like, hey, you guys, I'm also like this. Even though this is fucking ridiculous. <laughs> this is, a, you know, this I'm more than just, like, the dude with the black contacts on stage. Because I felt like I had something to prove that when I was 26 and my career had taken a turn in a good direction, but not one that I was wanted to be in, I guess. No, I completely understand. And how do you feel that uh, record holds up today? Are you proud of it? I, I listened to it just two days ago and I'm like, wow, I think it held up really well. But how do you feel? You are the artist, so. Mm, um, obviously, everything's a little, I mean, that was, that was 16 years ago. I've gotten a lot better mm-hmm. as, as a, I, I think as far as like an engineer and a programmer and stuff like that. So when I listen to that now, it's a little slower, like, than I would have it be. And it's really fucking silly and out there. But, um, I don't know. I listen to it. Some of it, I'm like, Yeek. but some of it, I'm, you know, I, I think I'm, I'm happy with it. Like it's, it's fine. The new record is massively heavier than that record and much faster and much more. Um, there's a, a lot more to the new record, I think, but, um, the new record, I think, captures the same, the same sound in in ways, and then brings a whole new, updated thing Excellent. for me. No, yeah, that, that's, where I am now. Yeah, the single that I heard that that they posted on Metal Sucks, I was I was um super excited about it. I was like, this is gonna be excellent you know and and so and um and then i didn't expect it like after crystal machete the the solo record you put out last year like um and we'll get to that as well but the the elements that you were doing there and 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 all the sounds were just so they were just so the sonics were just structured so well that when i heard like the the first single because i haven't heard the new record in its entirety i was like this is gonna be completely a different turn and different take on what I had, you know, last year from you. So it's, it's, it's really cool. Um, yeah, well, it's a, it's another project. And w- what I tend to do is I make rules for every project that I'm in, like not that I'm in, but every project that I do on my own, you, you enter this territory where it's really easy to start overlapping ideas to where uh, like, say I'm doing like stuff for biscuit, which I'm not doing much of now at all. But um, because I'm kind of waiting on them to finish their parts or whatever on whatever that record's going to be, if it ever comes out, maybe it won't, maybe it will. I have no idea. Don't really care. Um, but I'll be doing like my solo stuff. Then I'll be working on my wife's band. Um, that's called Queen Kwong because I play and, and work with her band too. And then I'll be doing uh, this other band. I have Blacklight Burns, and then I'll be doing big dumb face and then if i'm doing all of it kind of in the same within a few months of each other i have to be i have to set up rules that don't cross lines you know so all my solo stuff it's uh no real vocals no distorted guitars no help from anyone else at all it has to be completely me with 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 nothing no outside element whatsoever ever and that's that's and i think the no distorted guitars thing is a big rule that helps with that so that i'm not like you know the sounds aren't crossing over but um and then with big dumb face it obviously has its own rules that have to live in the world of big dumb face and then and then blacklight burns i'm going to do a new record with that but i have no it's not going to be like it was it's going to be something different but i'm setting i'm structuring the rules for what that's going to be 
now. And but rules for me make they make me more creative. They make me have to like push the boundaries of other things in order to try to like not break them but get around them. Um, and they all it just it really sets up my work ethic too, so that I'm very rigid and I'm you know kind of being my own boss. I'm you know adhering to a schedule to get this stuff done. But um, yeah, big complaints that this is you know Crystal Machete is going to have a reaction in me that I, you know it created a uh, a thing in me that I wanted to react to like against you know so I'm big dumb face is sort of like the reaction to me doing that record last year inside me to where I'm like I want to go as heavy as possible you know instead of going you know like the you know, like yeah. Yeah, like I did that last year. That's that was the last one I did. Now this one I have to like. I spent so much time not doing that on Crystal Machete that it's helped. That record helped Big Dumb Face become like, like wow, like super bonkers and you know fast and heavy and all the stuff I didn't get to do on that record. I'm doing on this one. Oh, cool, man. So and you just touched based on the the uh, after Big Dumb Face. Um, there was a couple projects that were. Um, you know, we did. There was something called Eat the Day, and then the Damning Well is kind of the project that looked like it set up the style of of Black Light Burns, which we're going to talk about next. And then um, with, with Black Light Burns, that was your main gig. You know, um, at the time, I believe in '06, and uh, you were like the flagship the flagship uh, band for like I Am Wolfpack, Ross Robinson's record label at the time. Yeah, yeah, for for a little while. Um, and then at the I don't know. That oh, was- go ahead. Sorry. No, I uh, like Black Light Burns is something that I, I kind of, like I I kind of like cut my teeth on that like trying to become trying to like fill in all the stuff that I wasn't as a musician I think and um, you know like learning how to to you know do vocals and learning how to front a band and learning how to you know do all these things that weren't necessarily things that I was an expert at in yeah, you know, that I was an expert in yet and I had to like figure out real fast how to front a band, basically. And and I'm I'm there are a bunch of elements of blacklight that I'm not happy with. Like I wish it had to have been like like leaning goth because I think I'm kind of embarrassed by that now, but whatever. It is what it is. I'm I'm embarrassed by lots of stuff that that I do like right after I do it. It's sort of like you look back and it, it it's like if you publicly made your haircut in high school like every few years or you know like you made that public and went like look this is me and then you have to like it's constantly out there forever and then you have to look back on it in years and go ooh what was I thinking but um I don't know it was it was it was my main gig for for years it was uh, a really huge learning experience um, of like the things that work and things that don't and um, it kind of taught me uh, what I want to do going forward um, and and where I want to take myself musically Um, but after the last record we did basically four records, like two main records, and then two kind of B records to the main records. Yeah. And um, then I closed the door and said I wasn't going to do it again, but 
no, I, I'm kind of like wanting to do things that I said I'd never do again now for some reason. <laughs> so, and I actually got to see you guys live on that, uh, is the first tour I'm out in Vegas. So I got to see you guys, I believe it was at Jillian's yes. and, um, it was like a bowling alley if, if I'm mistaken, but it was before the record was out. So I had no idea when I was, oh going boy, in. I'm sure it was fucking terrible no dude i'm telling you it was uh, fantastic it was fantastic i thought it was great uh, I don't know. so i was well, super excited but, about it afterwards and um and uh yeah so and then i got cool melody uh, i want to say it was a month or two later because i remember when i saw you guys live um the record had more of the um like you said the gother like kind of more synthesizers but obviously when you see a band live it's it's guitars bass drums and you know, yeah. so the sound was more rock oriented when I saw it live, and when I got the record, it wasn't as much really. But um, it it didn't really make a difference though, because it, it made more sense. And then a couple of years later, uh, you guys did you released like you said, "Cover Your Heart." Um, the compilation was a you know, pretty much it, there was a lot of original instrumentals on it. Um, and then you guys did yeah, like, just there was a bunch of like B sort of B sides that, that never like came to fruition really at the end. But what I loved about um, that is that you released the it was the An- Anvil Pants Odyssey the DVD of you guys touring. Oh yeah, before yeah that was that was pretty funny. I thought it was great. There was one part of that thing because I was a fan of the Esoteric before um, I saw you guys, and then um, I didn't know at the time when I saw you live. I don't know if Marshall Kilpatrick was playing in the band. He might have been, but at the time I wasn't aware of uh, of that. And then there's no a- he was he was the only there were two drummers and Marshall was on board for like the first however many years he was the only drummer so i probably saw you guys with him yeah Uh, and i i didn't recognize him obviously because i didn't know the faces of the esoteric in that way but on the dvd i remember there was one thing that we do with our friends all the time and i was i wanted to ask you um like you guys had this segment where he was lurking and he would just be behind corners like staring at people and we have we have friends that lurk all the time and we always reference that dvd (laughs) but then i had to ask was that real or was that kind of just a segment that you guys put in there no, he he would do that all the time. He was, was a lurker. It, it's something that he would really do. Like all of a sudden, you'd be sitting there, and and then you'd look over, and Marshall would be like stand, staring at you from like around a corner. It, <laughs> it's just a funny thing that he always wanted to do all the time. It was it was just like it was it was scary because you'd just be sitting there like kind of zoning out, and then look over, and somebody you see like a set of eyeballs from around a corner, just like staring at you and he's got these like steely blue eyes that are that are like scary looking anyway so <laughs> and for yeah. the people that don't know what 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 happened is that pretty much on the dvd marshall the drummer at the time you would see him like he just described in a corner staring at people lurking without anybody knowing around and people would have normal conversations and then he would be caught on camera doing that and so he would pretty much just be setting himself up to scare people or something. That's what I'm assuming, or just creeping. <laughs> so. Yeah, he was just creeping on people, and and just like you look, you just like all of a sudden you look up. He's waiting for you to look at him, but he'll still he had this like incredible endurance to just sit there and stare at somebody until they finally look over at him, and then they would like jump because <laughs> <laughs> he's obviously been looking at them. You know, he's been looking at you for a long time, and it's, yeah, it's it's unsettling. I missed that dude. I haven't seen him in like a year. Oh man! But um, and I don't yeah, even know if Esoteric's active off. or any. Yeah, I don't. I'm, I haven't followed up. You know, they had two records that I really liked. Growing, um, up. I'm not sure what I. I know that he was playing with a, a new band in Denver, no, Colorado, no. at some point. But um, yeah, 
I need to give Marshall a call. I haven't talked to him in a while. <laughs> When's the, have you, did you ever notice him lurking and then just ignore him to see how long he would lurk for? No, because he, as soon, he gets you. Like he, he, he gets you. As soon as you look over, he's got you. He went, it's, like, it's almost like paintball or something. Like He's got you. He, like, it's like a joke. You know? He wins. <laughs> that's funny man yeah like i said that was one of the highlights for me on that dvd for sure and then and then just the whole um the main thing if people haven't seen the anvil pants odyssey it's definitely worth checking out but the main thing was just seeing the 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 grassroots beginning of any band no matter what um level you were at if you wanted to start over and change the sound and change the image it was just very much a uh it was just a really good dvd you know to see and i think a lot of bands can learn from it and then moving forward in the black light birds category after this after cover your hearts this is when the uh you, you did a couple shows i believe for manson there was a short period there but then the limp biscuit train came rolling back again so you you kind of jumped back on that so the momentum that was going up for black light burns kind of stalled for a second because you had to do the other yeah it, yeah it did but i mean honestly blacklight burns was like sucking me dry like i was putting tons of my own money into it which is never a good thing to do and um i was just like i was like i gotta go back to work man (laughs) this is like killing me (laughs) so i mean in in uh in all frankness i needed a job basically so i was like this is totally draining me i'm like exhausting my savings like funding the band and trying to, you know, get it going and um, keeping it going. And um, I don't know if you know this, but touring and um, making records is expensive. Yeah. You end up like spending a lot of money. So um, anyway, I wasn't really, I was like in that mode thinking like, guy, I got it like, get licenses or, you know, do something or start doing more. Cause I was also, uh, working on soundtracks then, which I was kind of like supplementing my income, working on movie soundtracks with a, a few different composers. Um, like real big dumb ones too, like resident evil and saw and stuff like that. But, um, then Manson called Manson's manager, Tony Silva called and was like, Hey, we need a guitar player to do this show. Uh, in Korea, and I was like, okay. So then I ended up, you know. And then Manson asked me to join after, you know, meeting him and hanging out with him a whole bunch. Um, we really hit it off, and he ended up liking me a lot. And um, yeah, and then I kind of sat around the studio while he was making a record, like waiting to like play or write or do something, and just watch it him like fall asleep on the couch and do vocals and then hang out his, at his house till all hours of the morning. And, uh, I wasn't making a record with him. I was just hanging out and I was like, this isn't good. No, <laughs> this, is, a- like, I, I, this, this isn't where I, I want to be. You know, this is, I'm not being utilized here. So I did one more show with him. Um, and then uh, I was talking to Fred again about coming back to Biscuit and about a bunch of plans that he had. And he was really trying to, like, you know, make up for all the, like, disagreements we'd had in the past. And 
I was just like, you know what? I got to do that because I'm not, I'm not being utilized here. So Manson was really mad and cussed at me publicly and <laughs> for, for not sticking around. But man, there's, you know, nothing to stick around for really. You know, it was, I, I love the band. I love him. I think that he's, um, he's one of my favorite people and I wish that we were still friends. Um, but, uh, yeah, I had to go where the work was, you know, I had to go where, where I was going to be, um, able to be creative, exactly. you know, no matter where that is. And I think a lot of people was, uh, understand that dude, is that like you, a lot of people can't be a hired hand. They have creativity. They have to be able to add to what their name's going to be on, you know? Yeah, that's, that was the main thing is I realized that I was in sort of a hired gun position and that's never been something that I've been okay with. Yeah. Understandably, completely. So, and then, like you said, you yeah. guys got back on the, the Limp Biscuit, uh, you got back on the Limp Biscuit train, uh, toured, you know, all over the place. I know there was a couple shows you guys did with Faith No More, which, uh, for me, that's the first time I ever saw you guys back in 97. It was at the Huntridge uh, Theater. Oh, uh, yeah. That was a tough tour for us. Yeah. <laughs> That uh, was a tough we, tour we, for you guys. We got, we got heckled quite a bit on that tour. But. <laughs> I remember out here there was a barricade. If I if I can share a, a story from now, twenty years ago. Wow. Sure. Um, there was a barricade, and when you guys came on, and there wasn't a lot of people there. I, I actually shared this with the uh, with Ben from Dillinger. There was maybe 150, 200 people there, and it was Faith No More and Lip Biscuit, and the kids in the front like started slamming the barricade, right? And so. Oh. I was like, oh, I thought maybe you guys were a local band. I'm like, oh, these people don't know this band because I didn't know who you were at the time. And then like a, a month later, I go and you're opening for Primus. So I'm like, they got to be a local band. So, Because <laughs> um, you guys were just oh, yeah, that would make sense. playing Vegas all the time. I'm like, oh, okay, these guys are here all the time. And so uh, um, at the end of that show, though, um, because like you said, it's, it was, you guys were the openers. So it was, I didn't know if it was that tough. But out in our crowd, it looked like a lot of people were there for you guys. And then... Obviously, you know, Faith No More jumped on, Album of the Year Tour, and it was, uh, for me, it's one of the favorite shows of all time, no doubt. But then you guys, oh, in 2009, you guys come back, right? You're touring with them again, different, like, across, like, you know, I saw it in London and stuff like that, obviously not in the States, but um, how, what was that like to get back on stage with, like, a, a band that you pretty much followed through like that? Um, s- we weren't on tour with them again. We just happened to be on a bunch of the same festivals. Festivals, yeah. Yeah, we were just on the same festivals, but no, like I'm a, I mean, I'm a huge Patton fan. I mean, I, I try to model kind of like my, um, I'm, that's, I'm kind of trying to model my current work ethic kind of, uh, with Patton as inspiration because as far as like being, having multiple projects that are all mine, you know, that have different sounds, I've always really admired that about him and admired, um, you know, just how prolific he is as an artist and, and had really, you know, always wanted to be, um, you know, up to that level. And that's why, um, that's one of the reasons I started my own label. Um, like he started his own label so that he could just, it's kind of an excuse just to like put my friend stuff out and then put out everything I want to do, you know? And, um, he started Ipecac. I started, uh, my wife and I started Edison Sound, which is our label and also the name of our studio. And it's, uh, it's just an excuse to, um, ha- to get, get, uh, you know, worldwide distribution for all the dumb stuff that I want to do myself. 
you know, for the most part. But um, Patton is, uh, like, I, I, I found out about John Zorn through Mike Patton and uh, just always, you know, really loved Zorn and loved all the records he put out. Um, and I think in ways Patton modeled himself on John Zorn, you know, as far as, like, how much he's doing. And I know they work together a lot. I don't know if you're familiar with oh, him. Yeah. He's New, yeah, New York's excellent player. <laughs> um, but yeah, I just, I just love those guys, and I, I love the way they do things, and um, that's kind of where I'm at now. I'm trying to become, trying to capture that same, um, you know, the the same like diversity and um, output level as those guys. And to reach like that artistic, artistic integrity or artistic, like like I thought Patton immediately when you did state that, hey, I've got rules for each of my projects so they don't sound the same. Because I think there's a lot of guys out yeah. there that have like six bands and you can barely tell them apart, maybe by a little guitar tone, you know? And so mm-hmm. with that, with in, in this society, like art seems to be harder to um, get out to people, even though it's easier to get out to people. It's just because it's a snowstorm. Well, it's just, there's too much of it. Yeah. You know? There's way too much of it. And people's attention spans are way too short. You know, yeah. it's just like, I don't know. It's, it, it's like if somebody was, yeah, it used to be to where there were, there was less stuff and it was, you know, better promoted. And it was more of a, you know, the, the best stuff is, there's a lot of word of mouth on things, you know, where you would find the cool stuff because your friends would have it. But now there's so much that, and everybody likes it for so many different reasons, you know, all these different things that it's really hard to find, you know, it's hard to find stuff that I like personally, because most of the stuff that becomes really popular or, or just is, you know, getting buzzed by, you know, pitchfork or whatever. I don't like it that much. Mm-hmm. You know, it's not really, so I, I've, I found it hard to, um, I found like the search has become exhausting. Yes, and it's work in some ways. You know, it's it's yeah, work it's a lot days. of work yeah. to try to find stuff. And uh, yeah, I completely agree with you. I, I I feel the same thing that it's like I've never in my life, like you know, when I was growing up, uh, felt like I've missed anything great. And now these days, I feel like I'm missing something great every day because I don't put in the work to find it. <laughs> and where before, it's like you you can find an avenue, like you said, you could take an avenue like Zorn and just follow. Yeah, like the the tree branch of his family and see find great stuff and that's how i i try to operate these days you know it's like let me follow so and so and see what he's doing with these people but it's still work to find that stuff you know yeah i think that like people have like spotify playlists and stuff like that like i'm not a big supporter of spotify because i i think that part of me is just um i love the the i love the record so much like the idea of a record that I've, I'm having a really hard time um, accepting just songs for by themselves. Yeah, you know, I like like I just like that format, and I think that of course I'm a dinosaur man. I'm 42. You know, of course I'm going to like records. I grew up in the 90s where everything was, you know, people put out records and you list, you had to listen to it from start to finish, just like you did in the 60s and 70s, you know, the record was made to be listened to as one, you know, as one cohesive thought. Um, maybe not so much in the 80s, but, um, 
I kind of feel like we're back in the eighties in some ways, like to where people are just like single, single, single. And it's, you know, but in a whole new way. Um, and my records are made to where songs butt up against each other and, and have no change, you know, to where one song, a lot of my records, one song will become the next song, like transition into it. And on Spotify, yeah. that doesn't work. Mm-hmm. You know, I'm, I'm not, I haven't finished. I, I like, I, I'm not, I'm not going to stop making my records that way because I want them to be listened to from start to finish and be cohesive. Um, and be like, I never, you know, like if a song ends and there's silence, it's because I wanted that whole section of the record to end, you know? And on Spotify, you'll listen to like one of my songs and it just goes Zip, and ends in a weird way because I refuse to write singles, you know, refuse to write in that format. And they just like, it's, it's, yeah, it's, it's, I, I am having trouble accepting Spotify, I guess, you know, and that way of listening. And there's a lot of us out there. I'm the same. I grew up in the same time period. I'm so glad I grew up in the time period that I could have, I was taught at a young age that, to listen to records. But like you said, it like if you take something like Lotus uh, Island, the, the Black Light Burns record, the, yeah. from track one to four, I think it's like It's Good to Be Gold is where the vocals kick in. But those first three or four songs, they, they just kind of blend into that song. It's like almost a continuation to me, you know? And mm-hmm. if you did mm-hmm. like just cut off like the city or, or the thief or something like that, you're right. It's just going to kind of yeah. not sound complete. But a lot of bands making records in the '90s did exactly that. That was a format of keeping it flowing, you know. Um, yeah. Or opposed to like where bands had like the one track intro into the song. Now that 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 you're just going to hear the song point blank, and you're not going to get that. Like you know what I'm saying. So I completely yeah, sure. agree. I completely agree. So, um, but I mean, I'm being phased out. You know, that I'm 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 set for extinction in the next, you know, however long. And and people, you know, teenagers and don't think that way. And neither do twenty somethings. You know, they're 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 thinking. Um, you know, their 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 brain is in streaming mode, and that's just. Uh, I guess it's harder for, like any generation, being overtaken by another generation. It's hard to accept the ways that they do things. And, stuff, yeah. you know? and, and their music's always and, been and, free. And, That's the thing. Yeah, and music for them, yeah, it absolutely has always been free. Yeah, and that's, and that's which is, rough to think, yeah. Well, it's just the devaluing of music. I, I, it's, you know, I've, I've said this in interviews before that, that I feel like the, the musician is going to become like a trade of the past, you know, like... Yeah court jesters or coal miners or you know something that's just not necessary anymore it's a skill it'll be i think people will do it as a hobby you know and you'll have like it's just a the 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 whole musical middle class will be completely obliterated to where you're either you know rihanna or you're um one of the multitudes of of indie bands trying to like get time off your job so you can go play Reading and Leeds. Yeah. Uh, and then there's going to be no, there's also going to be no one to replace any of the headliners. Like once Metallica is done, who's going to replace Metallica at European festivals? Like there's no one. No, no, no band is, is big enough. Like everyone's trying to get, bring me the horizon to be, become the next like festival headliner 
in the UK and Europe, and it's just not going to happen. You know, those, those guys are, um, you know, they're working really hard and they're really popular, but they're never going to replace Metallica or Iron Maiden. No. It's because you know? of the stigma and the uh, the legacy that they've put for those years. I mean, like you said, nobody's cared 30 years yet for, you know, a newer band, let it be Bring Me the Horizon, or a lot like a lot of the bands that came up in that metalcore time where like the kill switch engages and stuff like that, they'll, they'll maintain popularity for sure. But will they ever reach a metallic? They level? won't, they won't be able to, to, to sell out download. No, you know, five yeah. finger death punch is not going to sell download out. You know, they're, they're, they're just not big. It's, I mean, they're big, but they're not like, they're, they're not legends and bands nowadays. And for the past decade have not been able to have the opportunity to become legends because they they don't have the support you know anymore because the music has been devalued but yeah. anyway i digress <laughs> no but it's everything you're saying it's like we're feeling you know and we're still i'm, I'm still up there i'm like i'm gonna keep pumping the records i'm gonna keep pumping the bands and and do what i can because uh i'm just so happy i grew up when i grew up that's all i'm saying because if i didn't have the, yeah me too the records and the music and all that stuff like the creativity that i had growing up i i just it seems really bleak to me and that's where it's, it's always i always speak with like a sadness like i know the kids won't listen but like I'm I'm sad that they won't, you know. And then there's the other there's a positive way of being like, hey, there's a rubber band effect where these things will kind of flip back into place. But I, I don't see it just like you don't with the with the art arts, I guess, in general. Because movies are the same, you know. Uh, I think they really uh, same thing when people are like this is the greatest movie ever. I, I see it. I'm just, it just doesn't give me that same uh, I don't know feeling like I used to have with films and stuff. But Anyways, like you said, let's let's digress. Let's not be old dudes for a second, Wes. Let's go back to uh, let's talk. <laughs> so yeah. um, back to so after, like I said, after Limp Bizkit trained, dude, in your career, you you your sophomore release for Black Light Birds came out. The moment you realize you're going to fail, the title um, and fantastic record. I think a lot of people loved it, but you had the 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 you had to rebuild the brand in a lot of ways for people to get back out to that that band and that record um how do you feel about that record um today oh, about the moment yeah the yeah um i mean i like a bunch of stuff about it i i think that that's a case of um that's a case of sitting on a record too long because that record was mostly made in 2000 i want to say it was mostly made in 2007 and 8 and then not released until 2012 yeah. because I went back to Biscuit and just had to sort of shelve it. But I mean, all like the last Blacklight Burns tour, I think was in 2008 before I went back to Biscuit and we were playing mostly material from that record. Um, like half the material was from, from the new record that wasn't out yet. Um, just to kind of like see how it was live. And, and then, um, and then I went back right before, it was released and kind of tightened some things up on it and changed some things and a little bit, but um, that's definitely a record that too much thought went into for too long for me. Um, and I also had, um, it was when it was before I could mix proficiently and actually Lotus Island was just like on the verge of me learning how to mix records. So, I'm not super happy with the mixes on that either. They're, they're okay, but not great. 
Um, but I had to have someone else mix the moment you realized because um, I couldn't do it. I tried and I couldn't do it. And I wasn't happy with the mixes. You know, they weren't punchy enough for me. Um, the guy that did it mixed it in the box, which is something that I'd never do. I'm always mixing um, on a console at home in my home studio. And um, I don't know, the, the Lotus Island was like, I like that record. I think it was too long and too noisy in some ways. I, I don't think that it's um, sonically an ear, like it's, it doesn't sound good to my ears when I listen to it now. I still, I like the songs and ideas, but to me now, it, it, it's like a record that kind of hurts my ears to listen to in a way, um, sonically. But, uh, yeah, I think that that's, but it was just, that whole band was part of like a big learning process for me, yeah. you know, going through all that stuff. It was, there was a lot of like, you know, cutting my teeth on different things and it sort of, I think the mistakes I made along the way in Blacklight Burns kind of helped me become who I am now. And I think that it's putting me in a position to where if I do make another Blacklight record, it'll be more of what I want. Because um, just now, for the first time in my life, Crystal Machete is the first album I've ever made where I can listen back to it you know, over a year later and be pleased with it and not be embarrassed by any part of it. And I think that I feel that way about this new Big Dumb Face record, too. And it's a weird thing for me to, to be able to listen to something that I've done, to listen to it age, and to not be um, bummed out by it, or not to not, like, cringe at certain elements of it. So I think maybe I'm finally getting to a place I'm happy with. Fingers crossed. <laughs> that's a tr that's that's fantastic to hear. And like like you said, the Crystal Machete is really a record that I think it sounds so. I don't want to say clean, but it's it's just it's it's, it's melody. Yeah, it's it's very it's very engaging and so easy to listen to. And, and but every, all the sounds go like I said. It's just a very good sonic like soundscape throughout. And then. Um, with each Black Like Burns record, like I, I really enjoy them all. There's no doubt, and they're all sounding different to me. And I see an evolution from Cruel Melody all the way to Lois Island, where I'm really excited about the one that you're hopefully going to put out in 2018. Um, and and just to see where that comes through with the rules that you kind of have for that band. And then, of course, the big dumb face. I'm just stoked about. And I think a lot of people, if you guys haven't heard that single yet, they're, they're going to really just. It's going to just change kind of a. Uh, a whole vibe, you know, that's kind of been presented uh, in previous work. So I got to tell you, man, I'm really excited about everything that's going on um, with you, especially with your, your mindset of the patent ways and, and, the, and the Edison Sound record label and, and you taking control of all that. And, um, and honestly, man, I, I want you to keep making anything you want anytime you want so i want the biscuit train to, to keep rolling i want all that stuff to come in too so all that stuff it comes in one these days there's no way you can just fund uh like i talk to a lot of bands that are in death metal and stuff like that and they all got day jobs like you said it's not something that um is self-sufficient anymore unfortunately you know yeah i've been lucky enough to not have to actually go get a, a day job i just i don't want to call biscuit my day job but it is in some ways you know but um it's still within the realms of 
making music and I've been so fortunate to, to be able to just consistently um, be able to support myself off music. So it's been an amazing thing for me and I'm so grateful. Excellent. So Wes, I want to thank you, man, so much for the talk, for the conversation. Everybody get out there. Halloween, Big Dumb Faces, new record is called Where is Duke Lion? Question mark. He's dead ellipses so and it's a heavy record we're really excited to hear it it's over 60 minutes long i saw that right so it's not even yeah it's the, it's definitely the heaviest thing i've done i think nice nice and you're totally happy with it which is great totally happy with it yeah. <laughs> I'm, I'm really i'm really pleased and we'll be we'll be playing the song right after the interview so people can hear it so uh once again i just want to thank you Wes, so much for calling into the metal sucks podcast yeah thanks for having me
And there you go, guys. We gave you uh, the, the first song, uh, He Rides the Sky, is off the new Big Dumb Face record, which is out right now. And the, the ne- other song we played, just to give you guys a taste of what we were talking about, was off the solo record, West Borland. It is Crystal Machete. That is the title track, guys. So it gives you just a, a taste of how different he can go and all the stuff he's doing out there. Um, and I want to also give a couple shout-outs uh, to some of our listeners out there. The first one, Harmony Rankhorn. Thank you so much for the kind words you sent us on Facebook, man. Uh, means a lot to us. And then uh, a guy I went to film school with, Chris McIntyre. Metal Sucks put his video up for Halloween, the death metal video. Um, a great dude. I'm so happy to see that he got some clicks on that video. Guys, if you haven't seen it, go to Metal Sucks, type in death metal, and you will see the video pop up. Um, and uh, oh, support everything Chris McIntyre does. And anyways, and... And I, and I just want to let the listeners know we're going to be starting up a Kickstarter fund because it sounds like Jocelyn's going to die. <laughs> yeah, she's got bronchitis, but she's here. I'm sorry, guys. We're going to pay for her funeral. If you hear little sad coughs in the background, it's because I am dying. Little sad coughs? Jesus Christ. I went as far away from the microphone as I could. I'm so sorry. Little sad coughs. She, li- she literally took her headphones off and ran away like yeah. four times. Here's a little sad cough. <laughs> That's it. No, you're, no, you're sorry, hacking guys. it up, dude. I'm so sorry. It's all good, man. It's all good. So. I showed up. <laughs> Until <laughs> next week, guys. Exactly. She's going to be the new drummer for, <laughs> for the Flesh God Apocalypse. <laughs> Apocalypse. <laughs> uh, so, all right, guys. Thank you again, guys, for all those iTunes reviews. Every time I look, it seems like there's a new five star up there. That's That means the world to us. It truly does. And uh, until next week, my friends, we are out. Metal Sucks Podcast. The Metal Sucks Podcast is signing off. This is the Jabberjaw Podcast Network.